Ooh. Yeah, mailbag. I so rarely get mail these days. And the mail I do get is all disappointing. I'm here to tell you that today, you've got mail. All right. Welcome, everybody, to the Middle Brown Mailbag. We have listeners. Yes, we do. And they are writing to us with comments, with questions, with reactions, and you can too. We are here today to answer and respond to things that our listeners have asked and to encourage you to submit your questions, your comments, your reactions, strong reactions. Don't give us your weak-ass reactions, but your strong reactions. Send them to us. So I'm Danny Kelly Stallings. I'm here with my co-host, Pete Gamble. How's it going, yo? It's going good, my friend. Let's dip into the mailbag, shall we? Yes, I'm very excited. I have no idea what anyone would ever want to ask me. <laughs> I've never been interviewed. Pete, that state of mind is only going to last for another 10 minutes, 20 minutes, and then you're going to know. It's weird to say goodbye to it. <laughs> Felt so insecure and unwanted for so long. <laughs> Listener Eric has provided us with his top three unrelatable things from the first episode of our Middle Brow Culture Warrior. Number three is a quote from Pete. Sex, to me, is like a fancy car. It's just not that important. Number two, Pete has a sweet Porsche that was given to him by his dad, which explains number two. Number three, Danny, I don't give a fuck about cash. Those are the three things that were most unrelatable to listener Eric. <laughs> he says it's an overall good podcast, if not an immediate hit with the Joe Rogan crowd, which quite frankly is what we're shooting for. Listener Eric would like some details on your Porsche. All right. It is a 1963 356C. Uh, it's called the 356 because it was literally the 356 design from uh, Franz Porsche. It's the last of the air-cooled Porsche racing cars. And what you're thinking is it's like there's a lot of famous Porsches from this time that are also 356s but are convertibles. And those are called speedsters. It's not the same thing. This is a hard-topped roof Porsche. There's a difference. Uh, making mine considerably less valuable than the Speedster, even though the convertible Speedster model was built to, was originally cheaper and built almost only for the American market because they felt Americans wanted convertibles. And so they made kind of a quick representation of it. And now those are worth like three times as much. And that's what like, whenever you see a celebrity driving like an old Porsche, they're driving one of those. Mine was a um, little racing Porsche, you know, it was meant to be raced on kind of city streets. It's a road car. It's not a top speed car. It's got a four cylinder engine. And uh, what came after this was the uh, 911 which was where they started doing the oil-cooled and uh, coolant engines, and uh, they made them considerably faster. So mine looks like a uh, Pokemon version of, of a 911, like somewhere in its evolution. What's the emotional significance of this car to you? It was my dad's. He had bought and rebuilt one in college that was trashed, and he was a pretty good mechanic and wanted to work on it and got really into it and liked it and built one. Uh, it was the car he met my mother in, and she was impressed by it because he was a high school English teacher who happened to drive this kind of sweet Porsche. But at the time, it wasn't that sweet. It was it was like eight years old or something like that, right? So he sold that original car, and then when he retired, he bought the same 
make and model and year and worked and restored that one. And then he unexpectedly passed away and my mother had no idea what to do with it or how to value it or anything. And uh, it's, it's, not, it's not as pricey as people think because people think it's the Speedster, which is like, you can buy those for like 150 to 250,000. This is not that. This was, you could maybe get 70,000 or so for this car because it's not a showroom car, it's just like a driver. And she didn't know what to do with it. So I was like, I am more than happy to garage it, maintain it and drive it, but keep it in your name. And if you want to sell it or anything, I'll help you do that. And so far she likes it. I go pick her up in it sometimes, drive around, it's great. I only drive it in the summer though, because Porsches are notoriously rusty and I don't ever want to take it out in the rain. So I don't really get to drive it as much as I'd like. Pete, listener Eric has another question for you. (laughs) This is on a little bit of a different topic, but he says there was a crazy private fireworks show on Bainbridge Island this summer that allegedly no one knows who paid for. It was so huge that it sounded from listener Eric's perspective like the world was ending all the way over in Magnolia. Pete, do you you have any thoughts or speculation on this? And for bonus, any anecdotes about the anger from the privileged granola fucks out there? <laughs> there was a lot of talk and I think that everybody just assumes that some other privileged granola fuck like had just a huge party and so nobody rats out privileged granola fuck so there was just a lot of pointing around and being like did you hear that what was that like and then it just kind of died down I don't think anyone investigated it I don't think anyone ever got to the bottom of it I'm sure it's some old Bainbridge family that lives out there on Country Club Road which is sort of South Bainbridge facing Seattle and it's really really fancy and people that have been homesteading quote unquote out there since the 30s or whatever and yeah i don't know a bunch of weirdos so you don't know who did and it doesn't sound like you watched the show either i did not watch it i did hear it and then i heard about it you know in the community but i never heard that like this person was busted for it or they did it or they whatever interesting pete listener sam would like to know what do you do or feel when our modern age has taken on a numbing sameness and mediocrity for me, I'll, I'll take this one first. I'll take the first crack at this. For me, this is a question of uh, pharmaceuticals. Yeah. If you're taking the right pills and the right doing the right therapies and all the right mental health stuff, which um, we'll go into this in, in greater detail on a later show, but if you're doing things properly with the pharmaceuticals, then that numbing sameness and mediocrity has a tendency to disappear, especially if you're doing something that you feel has deep meaning for your life. For me, that's raising kids. And having some kind of creative outlet, some kind of thing that gives you like a reason to push forward and do different things. And, and um, if you're able to accomplish all those things and particularly get your pharmaceuticals dialed in, then my feeling is that numbing feeling of mediocrity and sameness will vanish. And if it doesn't, then you're probably... If it's me, I'm headed to additional therapy or additional sessions with a med management counselor. How about you, Pete? Yeah, I would definitely check the drugs first because they seem to be extremely helpful. I don't know. I think, you know, I'm an existentialist, right? I, I, I believe that like existence precedes essence, that everything we are is just because we're here, right? And doing that creates a lot of fear of the unknown and all that kind of stuff. So I, I rarely get into the drudgery portion of it, but I deal with, I think, the anxiety around it in a similar way, which is I once heard it put that if you're quitting smoking, the desire to have a cigarette goes away whether you have a cigarette or not. 
which I think is like a key thing. It feels like you must only have a cigarette, but it won't. If you wait long enough, it will go away. And and usually when you're quitting smoking, shorter than you think, right? Like they say, like they've like done all these studies where it gets down to, oh no, if people can hang on five to seven minutes, whether they smoke you know, or they'll not, they'll have success for the next 24 hours, you know, because there's just certain, right, there's certain cues and stuff in the brain with addiction that hit at a certain time and they have a certain peak or even your distractions don't, but you just kind of ride it out, right? Now I'm not saying you can do that. And I'm, and I'm not saying people should pull themselves up from their bootstraps. I just find that if I just try to hang in there, usually it resolves. You know, I, I, I mean, it's one of those things that it's just, you just kind of got to keep going, you know, and something comes along. That's fascinating and, and really interesting and applicable to a lot of different things other than quitting smoking, because we all have these temptations and, you know, semi-addictions that, that plague our lives and occupy our thought space. And um, it's really interesting to hear that regardless of whether you smoke or not, the feeling goes away. Um, that's a really interesting piece of data that I think is applicable to a lot of things and to a lot of people. It's really good. I mean, it's, it's this weird thing where it's like, no, of course, that's true. If you just hang on, it will it will end. All right. Listener Sam also wants to know, what's more fun after three beers and what's less fun after three beers? Jeez, almost everything's almost everything's more fun after three beers. I mean, three beers is not even enough to be disabling or anything, right? So three beers is good. Uh, driving's less fun. Don't do it, even though it seems like it's going to be fun for some driving, reason. That's the first not, thing that came to mind for just, me, too, for don't. less fun. Driving sucks uh, after three beers. And I've taken to, I now have yeah, um, less fun. blood alcohol content uh, test strips that I keep in my car next to my wife. And and, and I, will, I will test. Because often it's like you've had oh, really? a drink or two or three, in this case, three under the hypothetical and you think well i don't know if i can drive or not and so i'll take these test strips and usually i take them and it's like you're at 0.001 percent and i'm like cool i guess i can drive home but um and that's and that's fine if, if that's the case but but yeah driving obviously is stupid if you've had three beers um and just you know don't do it we're, we're sort of spouting ralph nader style platitudes at this point yeah but real um, real head psa here yeah any small sport like bowling bowling's one but like anything like that any any kind of indoor like golf yeah probably uh golf but like i was thinking more like ping pong pool darts like any pub sport after sure, three beers sure, sure, is absolutely. immediately just an absolute blast you are you are getting competitive you kind of get Agreed. focused in a weird way you feel real good about it it's real bonding i love it skiing is way less Ugh, fun skiing. after three beers yeah that's not a good one like downhill skiing and so is so is uh, most yeah, real, real like athlete most yeah like, like, like playing basketball after three beers i've done that that's that's not great not yeah. no thank you but you know what's mm. way more fun after three beers Doing your kid's bedtime. <laughs> I don't even know what it's like doing it without three beers. <laughs> I can't tell if it's fun or not. It just is. No, dude, parenting in general, if you've had a few drinks, it's so much more fun and your kids like it more and you like it more. Like it, as long as you're not doing it to excess. We're talking about three beers to for like some, you know, big, tall dudes like ourselves. Like you have three beers and like you're fine and you can probably drive and like you do bedtime and it's just fun. And your kids are like, hey, can we do this bedtime thing where we do like roughhousing or we do like, you know, whatever. And you're like, I'm in. Let's do it. You know, and your kids are pumped about it. And it's, it's just great. And you have like better conversations with them. It's kind of funny. You don't really think about how lowering your inhibitions in general is also good around your kids yeah 
you know, because you are, or at least I am often trying to use some sort of like, I'm in control here ultimately, you know, I am the bulwark of which this madness must end, you know, but like, like if you just kind of really, you know, loosen up around your kids like that, I can imagine. Oh my God. They love it. They absolutely love it. Pete, listener Fiona wants to know, and this is a common thread that's come up among our various listeners. I want a deeper dive into the middle brow concept. What does having a middle brow perspective slash opinion slash outlook mean to you and Pete? So there's a lot of people who are wondering about this middle brow concept, which is why I'll put in a little plug. We're going to have very soon a middle brow. We have a middle brow ombudsman's somebody who's watching our podcast and is going to say, are you getting too highbrow? Are you getting too lowbrow, et cetera? So that's coming soon. Keep an eye out for that, listeners and subscribers. However, Pete, people are very interested in this concept of middlebrow. What does it mean to you? I think that I can put it into analogy. I think it is the cultural tastes of something like college radio. Like it is not, it's got some avant-garde, it's got some hits, it's played for the intellectualized or pseudo-intellectualized masses. I think that's middlebrow. And I mean, you know, like we could do like word association, like what is middle, like who is middlebrow? Like, all right, I'll find you some dead on middlebrow. The Beatles are dead on middlebrow. Mm-hmm. Probably middlebrow as it gets. Aaron Sorkin is unbelievably middlebrow. Here's a bunch of soaring, well-written stuff about America that should make you feel really inspired, but ultimately we're not talking about any kind of policy or any sort of real work that's being done in government. We're just sort of taking a light brush and putting it towards sort of sharp entertainment, which I like. I want people to work a little bit for me and I don't want to sit through the Bergman films. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) Fair. So that brings to mind something for me, a new idea, which is, okay, maybe middlebrow is stuff that the high end of lowbrow and the low end of highbrow are interested in. So if you have a topic of conversation or a piece of art or whatever it is that is right there in the middle and the people that are on the high end of lowbrow who are just kind of like, well, I kind of like that too. And the people that are highbrow are kind of like, well, I'm a little bit interested in that. Maybe that's where we're at, which is things that attract people from across, attract both lowbrow and highbrow people. I just think that that's the best conversation. Middlebrow? Yeah. You know, like if you've been to a party and talked to somebody like about a thing, like you're at some sort of party and you're there's some very like extremely stylish couple that don't have kids that are obvious tastemakers that drive an electric car, a brand of which you don't know or or have only you're not even sure how to pronounce. And they have jobs in seemingly high, far end, almost unbelievable sci-fi technology that's hard to understand. Like those people are not consuming popular culture on the same level that I am. They're not consuming Mm -hmm. life on the same level that I am. Mm -hmm. But they can be very interesting to talk to. And Mm -hmm. sometimes they're very surprising in what their beliefs are. And, Mm -hmm. And that's interesting. And I think everybody knows the opposite of like, people this is a lot of like what america deals with kind of like an urban rural divide where if you go into a more rural area in america and culture is proudly lowbrow 
you know, explicitly so, done to be exclusionary of quote-unquote elites and the suburbs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And those people have fascinating, interesting things to say too, but it's not where I want to live, so I want to talk about it and see, and what do you end up with there? I guess some exclusionary white guy stuff is what you end up with. Yeah, I can't talk to any of my lowbrow friends about David Foster Wallace, but I can't talk to any of my highbrow friends about... Toby Keith. But I can talk to anyone on any brow about Taylor Swift. <laughs> Which makes her super middle. Taylor Swift is is middle brow. No question about it. I can talk to any of my friends, low brow or high brow, about do you have an Android or an iPhone and what happens on group text threads? <laughs> yeah, no. You know what I mean? I, I 100% do. I think most people would prefer to identify as middle brow. No one wants to think of themselves as high brow. And this is sort of antithetical to Virginia Woolf's thesis statement that middle brow are just these like sheeple who deserve to die. And because they're so uninteresting and can't come up with an original idea of their own. But I think everybody, nobody wants to be like, oh, I'm a high brow. I drink wine from these specific regions in these specific years and nobody wants to be lowbrow well there's plenty of people to do but most of the folks we know in left coast liberal america don't want to be like you know i only drink high alcohol content malt liquors you know what i mean nobody <laughs> wants to be that person i think most people want to be middlebrow yeah I think it has to do with intentionality. I think I think it has to do with trying to be intentional in art, but still have it be accessible to people, as opposed to just making it accessible or having it just be part of some sort of obscure intention. And yeah. I feel like that's the thing. Like I think it's really obvious in movies because there's a bunch of like I think quote unquote lowbrow movies that I don't think are lowbrow at all. Like I think they're middle to highbrow movies. But there's like a bunch of this stuff that people like write off, and you don't realize the cultural value of it one way or the other like dude foreign policy is not nearly as fancy or as feet as you think it uh -huh. is it is uh -huh. mostly just like your same hoa meeting it is just uh -huh. arguing and fighting over different ideas of how you want things to be run just at done large and by the same token the nfl is infinitely fascinating I, i'm i'm more surprised the number of people that i talk to in liberal circles that just like just don't pay any attention to sports except for something like obscure soccer teams and and i'll be like talking about football and be like oh yeah and they're like oh oh you know i don't watch football or something you're like oh, okay all right you know like like how, how is it how is it a defining personality to say you know i don't participate in this thing that the only thing that almost all americans do all major american sports i'm talking about the nba MLB, NFL, NHL are middle bro. Yeah, right? They'd have to be. There's no way you can get the audience. You got to get the money and you got to get the eyeballs. Indeed. Which means you have to produce a product that is accessible to people of Americans of both high and low tastes. Yeah. And that's fascinating. Highbrows love the NFL and lowbrows so, love the NFL for different yeah. reasons, but they all love it. Yeah. Yeah. Pete, listener Kate has the following take, and she's responding to our first episode where we talk about air travel and we talk about iPhone versus Android. And here's what she has to say. I think your air travel fuck em, just reveals you don't have elevated airline status. This is another thing, parentheses, replace airline status with iPhone, that if you have it, other people are just crying because they're poor losers who don't have it. <laughs> 
I, I being Kate, was the highest Delta status for years after I stopped professional world travel, and then I lost it. I went through all the stages of perceived elitism and disgust at the elites. So, air (laughs) travel. Yeah, I love it. Yes, everything would better if you have elite status. I completely agree. Agreed. So what's your your take on this sort of parallel between air travel, which we hate, we're on record as saying fuck them, to commercial air travel. Um, It's gotten so much worse now. Now I'm scared to death. Boeing's not putting bolts in planes, man. Yeah, it's bad. I don't know if, I don't you, know if all the free drinks from Delta in the world is going to make me feel better about it. I've never had elite air travel status, Pete. It'd be great to have, but it's never something that's really appealed to me or I've thought much about. But you've never had it? No. Nope. I think the only people that really do that are like business folk, right? They get yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then yeah. it's people. like, yeah, I get it. But like, have you ever traveled for business? Have you ever done any air travel for business? I have. Yeah, me too. It's just bananas how much all of the charm out of travel instantly goes away like all it of really a sudden, does yeah you know you, you hear these comedians talk about it like airline but it's like dude you know if, if i get on an airplane today and fly to a nice hotel it'd be pretty exciting you know the kids would be thrilled about it we'd be going we'd be talking through it the whole thing it just turns into this cattle call i hate everything i hate every amenity in this hotel it is just this wash awful it's just crazy how much you just learn to like disgust at the pristine anonymity of things indeed well to our middlebrow mailbag participants thank you to our listeners send us a text send us an email let us know what you think we are happy to discuss the topics that you raise Hey, thanks for listening to the Middle Brown Multiverse. If you'd like to join our army of subscribers, you can do so at patreon.com slash multiverse. There's a free option or a paid option that gives you access to bonus episodes that you might enjoy.